even communism. And when I looked at that statue, I don't know about you, but I was amazed. Isn't that amazing? Here's this atheistic country, and they have this big statue of Jesus overlooking the capital. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? That sounds like a God thing to me. I don't know about you, but that's a God thing. He goes on in the narrative, and he says this. When Jesus arrived in Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been dead in the grave for four days. And I want to skip down now to verse 21. Martha comes out and she says, Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. And so there's a confidence that, that she has that if, in fact, Martha has this confidence that if, in fact, Jesus would have been there with his friend, he wouldn't have died. And she says, but even now I know that God will give you whatever he asks. How many of you know this? Sometimes we say more. It's a truth. What she says is truth. But sometimes we say that, but we don't really believe it. Mary's going to be tested on this. I mean, Martha's going to be tested on this later on in, in, in a verse when Jesus says, roll back the stone. Now, she says here, even now I know that God will give you whatever you want. I wonder, when you showed up for church this morning, did you believe that God would give you whatever you wanted? How many of you know what today is? What is it? Pentecost Sunday. You know what happened there, right? Those guys were hanging out, and then a breeze comes in, and fire comes in, and it sets them on fire. And they go out to be used by God to touch a world in which we live in. They believe that God could do anything. When you showed up here this morning, when you were worshiping, when you were singing those songs, do you believe that God can do anything? See, now we can say that. But now what if you get tested about that? Can God do anything? Can he do it for you this morning in this place? Can he do it to you as you're listening over the airwaves? Can God do anything in your life? We have to answer that question. And, and so he goes on here and he says this. He said, oh, he said, Jesus said, your brother will live again. She, Martha says, yeah, he will raise when everyone else will raise at the end. And then Jesus gives one of his I am statements. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. Everyone who lives, who, who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? And she says unequivocally, yes, Lord, I do believe that. I have always believed that you're the Messiah. Now we jump down to verse 32. It says, When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. See, there was something in the belief system of both Mary and Martha that they believed that if Jesus would have been there, he wouldn't have died. And, but he's already told them, I'm the resurrection 
uh, and the life. So, takeaway number three is this. Resurrection defeats death grip. Resurrection defeats death's grip. Since, since, oops. Technology is a wonderful thing. Since Jesus established the fact that he is the resurrection and life through his own resurrection, consequently, we no longer have to fear death. Each of us, unless Jesus comes back, is going to die. But we don't. The sting of death has been removed. Death has been defeated. And our eternal destiny has been established through Jesus Christ. That's the takeaway. Resurrection defeats death's grip. He goes on. The narrative goes on. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing, and the word there, when Jesus saw her weeping, means she's sobbing. She's wailing with the other people. It isn't like a few tears are coming down. I mean, she is sobbing. And it says this about Jesus, a deep anger welled up within him, or another translation, within his spirit, and he was deeply troubled. You ever ask yourself, why is that? And then the shortest verse is coming up, Jesus wept. Okay, did you ever ask yourself, why is that? He's angry and he's weeping when in fact he already knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So what's going on there? This is, I didn't find this in a commentary. If you don't like it, it's okay. But see, sin has interfered with God's intention for humanity. And so he's angry. How many of you know who Jesus is? He's the God-man, totally man, totally God. He didn't jettison his godness. He had an understanding of what humanity was created to be, and this isn't it. This is not it. His friend here, yes, in his humanity, he's crying out, weeping for his friend, but it's beyond his humanity. It's his godness that says, it was never meant to be like this. And so he's angry. In fact, it says he is deeply troubled. Not just troubled, but deeply troubled. Where have you put him? We're going to go do this thing, see? That's the attitude he's got. Because he's already said, I'm the resurrection and the life. And so, some, so here's, these, here's all these naysayers. But some said, well, this man healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Oh, little did they know. See, they're going to be astonished here in a moment. Jesus, still angry, as he arrived at the tomb and the cave, and the stone was rolled away. He says, no, he says, but roll the stone away. Now, here's Martha. Now, what did Martha say? You can ask God anything, and he'll do it. Shows up at the tomb. Roll the stone back. Ho, ho, wait, Jesus. 
He's been in there four days. He's going to smell. But didn't she say, you could do anything? You know? And so Jesus responds, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? I want to ask you this. God ever used you to do something and the amount of belief that you had was pretty small. You say, oh, no, not me. I've always had a large amount of belief. Well, good for you. That hasn't always been my case. In fact, I've been involved in situations where really I just said, God, you, there's no way you should even have done that. I had a terrible attitude going into this thing. I wasn't spiritually where I needed to be, but you wanted to do what you wanted to do so that I could see your glory in the midst of all this situation. And so at this point, Martha didn't have much belief, but she was going to have some more belief in just a moment. Jesus responded, I tell you, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? So they rolled the stone away, and Jesus looked up to heaven. Father, thank you for hearing me. How many of you know this? He's going to say, I'm just saying this out loud because I already know you hear me. I want them to hear what I'm saying. You see, that, that's what's going on here because he already knew what he was going to do because I think somewhere in John it says this, I only do what? What the Father's doing. He wasn't doing this on his own ability. He was doing this, what the Father was doing, because the Holy Spirit was going to do something here, and something was going to happen to bring glory to the Father and to Jesus. So he says, I, I thank you. I do it out loud for the sake of these people so that they will believe that you sent me. And then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. Now, how many of you know this? You better know something's going to happen. If you're with this crowd of people and the stone's been rolled away and you shout, Lazarus, come out. They're all standing there watching. What's going to happen? And what happens? I mean, he comes out. He's levitating, if you will. Because he's still wrapped up. And so what we have here is a glimpse of the resurrection. We're seeing in, into the future what our resurrection will be like. There's nothing that can keep us in the grave. You know? All of a sudden, those great... And we saw that in Matthew, didn't we? And when Jesus hung on the cross, remember it says that there was an earthquake and, and graves were open and people were hanging out there in the graveyard until Jesus was resurrected. And so that what we're seeing here is the power of the resurrection lived out before their very eyes. And so the fifth takeaway is Lazarus' resurrection is a glimpse into the future. See, it validates what Jesus said in verse 25 when he said, I am the resurrection and the life. It's one thing to say things. It's another thing to do those things. 
And then that's exactly what he does. He, he wants to show them what the resurrection and the life looks like. It's a, temp, it's a tangible demonstration of the power of the resurrection. Today's Pentecost Sunday. What happened on Pentecost Sunday? You will be my witnesses. When what? The Holy Spirit comes upon you. And where are you going to be my witnesses? In Cuba? In Cuba, right? In Puerto Rico? In Turkey? In Africa? To the ends of the earth. God's going to do that. And he's going to call men and women and boys and girls to be a part of that experience. Let me give you a, a recap. All that God does is for his glory. Our time to join God in what he's doing is limited and always involves risk. Christ's resurrection has taken the fear and sting out of death. Sin has disrupted the intention of our lives. How many of you know this? Sin has been defeated with the death and resurrection of Jesus, but when I say that, it's not been eradicated. How many of you know that? All we have to do is look at Buffalo and Uvalde, and now out here in Oklahoma, sin is still at work, but sin doesn't keep us captive. We've been freed from sin and the power of sin. You can't ever just say this, well, that's just the way I am. No, you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have been what? Done away with. All things have become new. You and I are God's masterpiece, and the world needs to see that masterpiece lived out in this wolf-infested world that we live in. I don't care if you're a Democrat or a Republican, I want to tell you this, legislation will never take care of the situations that are involved in our world right now. If you think, well, if we can just get the right person in there, you're wrong. The only thing that's going to do it is God's kingdom comes, and His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. See, we got to believe that, and we got to hang on to that, because we're being challenged at every corner. I want to tell you this, the hot button issues of our world are moral issues. They're God issues. You do the things that God doesn't want you to do, and you got a mess. And right now, that's the situation that we live in our world, isn't it? we got a mess. But I want you to tell you, don't go, don't go looking up in the hills and taking, I just need to get away from all this. That's not going to happen. God's called us to be light in the midst of the darkness. That's what resurrection life is all about. I got great news for you. The one that said, I am the resurrection and the life is still on the throne. The darkness 
will never overcome the light. We're not doomsday people. We're Christ-centered people. We're people of the light. Now, I want to tell you this. You don't distribute light with a foghorn. You don't do it because you got the biggest banner. You do it by living out the way Christ walked on this earth. You do it by demonstrating the reality of Christ in us the, is the hope of glory. You can't out-shout evil. You've got to allow God to work through you to defeat evil. Lazarus' resurrection is a glimpse into our promised resurrection and has reversed the disruption of sin. God only has plan A. And the plan A is he's going to use his church to impact the darkness of this world. You and I, just like Lazarus, has resurrection power coursing through our veins. Stand with me. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to be real with God. Is there there's something that you need from God? Something that maybe you've been asking him for years that you need. Maybe it's not just you. Maybe it's a friend of yours, and they need a touch from God, and they need that touch now. We can be like Martha and say, well, you can do anything you want to do. What if what he wants to do isn't exactly the way that you think it should be done? Are you willing for him to do what he desires to do? Father, we're not so much different from that motley crew that was gathered in the upper room waiting for you to do they didn't know what. But they knew that you would told them to wait and that the Spirit would come and empower them. And thank you that we have access to that same power today. That the wind of the Spirit has never stopped blowing. It continues to blow. You continue to release your power in our lives and in the culture in which we live. And so right now, as we're gathered here, we, we came with expectations. We didn't know exactly what you were going to do, but we're asking you to do what only you can do. It may be personally in our life. It may be for someone else that's out there that's our friend, like Lazarus was Jesus' friend. And so we're just asking you, come. Come and do those things that God will bring glory to you. We celebrate the reality that death has lost its sting, that sin has lost its disruptive power, and that you're at work in this world in which we live. 
And so I pray, God, as we leave this place, would you use us to bring glory to yourself? Would you use us as instruments to change the lives of people, people that are desperate, people don't know where to turn? No, we don't have the same situation as Cuba, but yet, God, we live in a culture that's desperate to experience you. They don't know where to turn. They've turned to all kinds of things, but they're still desperate to experience the power that you release because of your resurrection. And I pray that you'd use us as instruments of your grace to touch lives and do it now while we still have breath because there are no do-overs, Father. So would you empower us to be your witnesses in this world in which we live. And I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. If you're here this morning or if you're listening on the airways, like Andy always says every week, there are people that will pray with you. You may be here this morning and you need prayer. And I know it's a long ways from the back to the front to come up if you need prayer. But if you need prayer, Come up. There'll be people gathered up here to pray for you and specifically for the need that you have. If you don't have those needs, God bless you. Have a great week. <laughs> like, but I don't even want to sit there. I just want to not go. But some, it's not an option. So, but. It'd be weird. It would be a weird option. Let me say that. Josh finishes, and then, all right, see you guys. Um, and so we can't do it in our own strength, but here's what I'd encourage. Not that you have to be, you don't, in a, even in a group this size, you can't know everybody, but you can know somebody. Not everybody can know you, but you can be known by somebody. You can walk through life together. We can forge friendships here. Friendships that are centered in Christ, and I believe this, those friendships that are centered in Christ because out of Christ comes life and true life and life more abundantly is those friendships can then have an influence on your life. They can bring encouragement. They can bring somebody who's going to pray for you consistently, who's going to lift you up. And I want to encourage you, listen. I know, Sunday morning's weird, right? I feel like some of them Sunday morning we should have the chairs like facing each other. You're like, yeah, I recognize the back of that dude's head. You know, or like, oh, yeah, that's, that's what's her name. She looks like this. <laughs> but like, let's, uh, let's talk to one another. Because man, as the battleground is in the heart, ladies, I encourage you to know other people. And here's what I think another trick of our minds is this. Oh, it's, it's just me going through this. No one else would understand what I'm going through. I just want to encourage you that that is not the truth. Takeaway number four, a mother's heart can be full of joy. A mother's heart can be full of joy. I know this, that... Um, this is a prayer out of Psalm. And in Psalm 6, it's a, it's a lament. And so go with me on this. And 
And so this is kind of sorrowful. I mean, you might say a mother's heart can be full of joy, and then you read that. Psalm 6, 1 through 10 says, Oh, Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your rage. Have compassion on me, Lord, for I am weak. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. I am sick at heart. How long, O Lord, until you restore me? Return, O Lord, and rescue me. Save me because of your unfailing love. For the dead do not remember you. What can praise you from the grave? I am worn out from sobbing all night. I flood my bed with weeping, drenching in, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of my enemies. Go away, all you who do evil. The Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. The Lord will answer my prayer. May all my enemies be disgraced and terrified. May they suddenly turn back in shame. What does that have to do with a mother's heart being full of joy. Moms, again, don't raise your hand. How many of you have felt like that? I am worn out from sobbing. All night, I'm in my bed, and I'm weeping. Here's what I love about the landscape of the Psalms, if you've ever read them and prayed them. The landscape of the Psalms is keeping it real. See, because here's what he says in Psalm 37, 1 through 6, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong for that for like grass they soon fade away like spring flowers they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him, and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine in the noonday sun. A mother's heart can be full of joy even in the midst of sorrow because joy isn't simply happiness. It's knowing that God is with you in every situation. Easier said than done. I agree with you 100% if you're thinking that. But I want to assure you in this that the joy of the Lord is, in fact, our strength. The joy of the Lord, moms, in the room today is your strength. Because the joy of the Lord is this, that God is present and he is in control and he has you in the palm of his hand. Your heart can be full of joy. And the joy that is found in motherhood, let me encourage you with the first psalm there, sometimes the joy that is found in motherhood is mined for. There's work. We're mining. It doesn't just go. And then sometimes the joy is just sitting there in front of you. Right? What do you mean by that? Well, how many of you guys have... Don't raise your hand again. It's embarrassing for your kids. How many of you guys have had kids that have caused trouble? I said, don't raise your hand. What do you guys do? You're like, no, I'm... No, we're just going to open up today. Okay. Um... Yes, and you're thinking, okay, like in this moment, 
I need to mine for some joy because right now all I'm feeling is... But there's other moments where they, your kids might unexpectedly do something like, I don't know, pick up their room or say something nice. Not that my kids, I'm making my kids sound like, they're not like that at all, but, but kids can be. But they say something nice or they say the right thing or they don't say something. And that joy is right in front of you. But what I want to encourage you with tonight, or tonight, because it's night outside, um, is that your heart, moms, is a gift that is full of hidden treasure, that is a battleground in which God can win the battle and has won the battle, and your heart can be full of joy. And so I want to say a blessing over each mom here today. If you'd stand, if you're a mom, you do that for me. 